presumably there'll be uh you know a, a sequel of some sorts uh where matt damon uh plays uh yeah. Catherine g johnson <laughs> I am not touching that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. I'm as proud as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. What's but a smile on that face? You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me. Listen to you by what right? Because I have a right to be. Uh, I have a voice. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. So this week, we kind of end our Oscar push because next week we have our own awards episode. But this week, we are taking a look at hidden figures. And to do that, I have Mike from the War Machine vs. Warhorse podcast. Thanks for being here again, Mike. I'm the perfect person to talk about hidden figures. Yes. I'm so glad you got a uh, black woman uh, who's so good at math. Yeah. I, I mean, to who come else would this. I think of? Yeah. It's perfect. So um, before we get into the movie, anything coming up on War Machine versus War Horse you want to publicize? Um, coming up, we uh, I just released uh, today uh, the Girl with All the Gifts episode. Uh, so I do have a, a female-centric episode, and a kind of uh, interesting discussion point was with that film. It's about a young girl, so we talked about Matilda and Frozen. Those were the two older films, and uh, we we got into you know Matilda's a mid-90s film, and Frozen a more recent one. And as I was watching it, I was like, wow, they actually you know when I was a kid made movies starring little girls. There was Harriet right. the Spy, a Little Princess, Secret Garden. And so that um, it's one of those episodes where we we've talked about the movies and we've said they're both good. I think Matilda's great, but that discussion ended up being uh, far more interesting. And so I guess in some ways that ties into Hidden Figures in the sense that this has been a very uh, big box office and critical success. And uh, I know on this week's episode, you even admitted you had problems finding a, a pairing in the sense that it's like, yeah. wow, Hollywood has uh, really ignored uh, films about smart, successful. Uh, black woman so um yeah it's uh not quite one-to-one because uh, those are two family friendly films and these are about adult women but yeah it's uh if you like this episode in this discussion you may like our girl with all the gifts episode nice all right um so hidden figures was one of those movies that in terms of oscar buzz seemed to kind of come out of nowhere like this is a movie i kind of heard about coming out like a couple months ago uh, a couple months before it came out, rather, uh, but it wasn't something that I think awards prognosticators were taking very seriously, especially with uh, with a year where we have a movie like Moonlight. Usually, the Academy is not real great about picking up uh, and picking movies that are not focused on white men. So to have two in one year that kind of break that mold was a little bit surprising. So, what did you think when you finally did see Hidden Figures? Well, before I get into that, I just want to uh, warn people that uh, don't get used to that because I, <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, I believe it was Octavia Spencer um, during this this press tour for uh, for the, the award season that uh, even said uh, that uh, the Oscar so white uh, sort of uprising hashtag had absolutely nothing to do with fences hidden figures moonlight uh, all sort of transpiring at the same time of course movies you know it takes years to develop so uh i don't think it's going to be uh, immediate but i do hope that you know three to four years from now uh this is far more common you know hidden figures specifically that i don't think it's a no it's not an awards baity film like i do think that this is something that if it came out in the summer it would be just as financially successful but maybe wouldn't get any sort of nominations. And right. I actually think that's perfectly fine. I, I like this film in the new uh, best picture sort of expansion, because I think that's what the expansion was for was to award something like, um, well, the help. And I think this is a better film than the help, but it's something, this is definitely a, a populist film. It's a popcorn film. Right. And those to me uh, should be recognized just as much as your moonlight, which obviously is a far more narrow What's uh, mine? That's awesome. I didn't know it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Brad Pitt. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think that uh, Hidden Figures is uh, it's 
it's you know it's the better version of uh, La La Land in the sense that I think that uh, in not terms of it's it being populist, film. you mean? I think I think the audience here uh, is is far more valid. Like La La Land, uh, there was a, a ton of build up. Uh, and right. that's fine. The critics did their job there during the <laughs> festival circuit. But Hidden Figures, it's sort of a more honest success in that way. It's just yeah. like the audience embraced it. They wanted to see it. And uh, it's sort of an old-fashioned word of mouth. Hey, this is really good. My friends should see this. So, yeah. yeah, I'm glad it's getting the award's attention. But I think it would have been just as well in June. would have been a great summer movie too. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I totally agree. I think it's one of those movies that like when – you know, we idiot podcasters sit around and make our top 10 lists like it's not it's probably not going to show up there. But it is really great that it's getting that kind of publicity um, from a group like the Academy that's usually pretty focused on navel gazing and pretty focused on like, well, I didn't really understand this movie. So it must be really good, uh, which is another reason it shocks me that Silence didn't get nominated because that I think if that movie had come out early December, like I think it definitely gets a nomination because of who's involved in it and what type of movie it is so it was nice to see this type of movie get that recognition because this really is it's designed uh for a couple things and i think the most important thing is for it to be a crowd pleaser and it really is like my audience when i saw it they all clapped at the end uh they were all laughing along with the movie at the right points and gasping out at at all the right points and it and it really worked for the audience so it's nice to see that we can have movies like this that you know maybe maybe in 50 years we're not talking about like oh remember hidden figures what a what a great film like that's probably not going to be the discussion but that doesn't mean it's not worthy of that recognition it's fun i mean it's a fun right. watch um especially for a movie that's surrounded by the civil rights struggle and racism like this could be a not fun movie very it could be easily. a history lesson it could right. be a lecture um and it could be done in a very safe way um, unfortunately, you know, I, I feel like 10 years ago, uh, maybe this wouldn't be as topical. I mean, uh, the time we're at now, mm. uh, it's really hard to say like, uh, yeah, racism's over. Glad we settled that. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. But I, I've accused the Academy. I've accused of these type of films before of jumping back into the past for something that, uh, people can easily get on board with. And, you know, it's easy to go back and uh, point the finger at, in this case, like the Kevin Costner character um, who, you know, is sort of sticking uh, his head in the sand as far as what's going on around him. Like his he's clearly fo so focused on his job and getting to space that uh, he's not recognizing the inhumanity that he sort of lives in within his workplace and how right. that's treated. Uh, I, I think it's a, a very good uh, film to your top 10 thing. Yeah, I wouldn't make my top 10 because I think that. It's not something that I would probably rewatch uh, in the sense that uh, I don't know, unlike Silence, that I'm going to like really sort of dig deeper in that. But I right. think that's perfectly fine. Like this would pass my test of what is something that you could just throw on the TNT test. Yeah, I was waiting. For if it, it yeah. came on, I would sit down. I, it, it's so watchable. You know, it's got great actors. Yeah. Uh, just just watching them work. Um, you know, this film does diverge a little bit, and it goes to the Catherine G. Johnson character, sort of your main focal point. Yeah. And I like that because while it is an ensemble, I, they don't do – I said on my podcast, they don't attempt to do a return of the Jedi moment where everyone's uh, path in history was equal. Like, you know, eventually she is the one that we have to stick with. She's the one that's sort of fighting all the battles. Uh, well, yeah, I, I like that. that. I like that like one of our other main characters played by Janelle Monet, like she, her – her story is still in process by the time the film ends. Right. It's not as if like, oh, and everything works out and worked out and she got to work on this project. Like, no, actually she just she went back to school. That that was her that was her path in this movie. And I think it must have been tempting to try and wrap everything up with a bow with these three main characters. But this is definitely kind of Taraji P. Henson's movie, uh, as far as who is the star of this movie. But the first half of the movie doesn't feel like that. Like I was actually kind of worried that they were gonna go that route where everything was wrapped up, like, oh, we'll play fast and loose with with time and, and how this all worked out because we want this pure happy ending. I like that there was there was a little bit of a little bit of difference between these three characters, but I thought all three of them were were pretty wonderful in this movie. Like I, I don't think I don't think necessarily it is a their roles that necessarily stretch 
these these actors much. Like there's not there's not a lot of depth they really need to go to here. But because it is that kind of crowd pleaser, I think that works for the movie too. Like it should be kind of surface level. The goal here, I think, is to tell a story that had never been told, and I think they accomplished that. Yeah, like for me, uh, Octavia Spencer is is my favorite mm. character to watch in the film, and I would say she's uh, maybe got the the least dramatic. Uh, moments, you know, she's she's sort of middle management in a sense, right? She's the mm-hmm. one that um, doesn't have this sort of these these personal conflicts. She's sort of looking out for for her group, for the the people that work underneath her, and she's also uh, you know, playing with the idea of history. She's trying to figure out what her path would be, not only battling. Uh, race issues, but also technology. I like as far as like yeah. I have to, I have to progress myself and my skill set, and uh, I find that interesting, especially when you're looking at. Uh, I don't call this historical fiction, but obviously it's a, you know it's a fictionalized version of true accounts. Uh, I do want to touch on something that's just recently come up because I want to pat myself on the back. Oh, that's what, good. You know, I'm on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> when I was reviewing this movie. Uh, for for my show, War Machine versus War Horse, which you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, at War Machine Horse, all that. Uh, <laughs> I said the only the only hang up I had with this film uh, was one scene where you have Traji P Henson go off on Kevin Costner, and it's about the bathroom situation. I felt like that was the only time I came out of the movie and was like, I don't know, that just doesn't really fit with the general tone, the the, the feel that we've we've built up. It's sort of a, a genial thing. Uh, dealing with sort of real people uh, acting in sort of, in real grounded ways, uh, and I mean it is an all time epic rant, and <laughs> then that leads to Kevin Costner uh, getting out the I can't remember crowbar or baseball crowbar. bat whatever some yep. yeah some sort of stick some sort of very <laughs> masculine phallus thing, and uh, <laughs> and just you know beating the the for colored only uh, bathroom to death just a bloody pulp. <laughs> And I, you know, I didn't care for, it. and I just recently I see that that's come up a little bit in conversation, and that that is an act that actually did not happen. Now, I wanted to ask you because when I was watching it, my crowd loved the, both those sequences, like that entire. It was it's sort of like the 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 big movie explosion for a film that's not uh, got bullets flying, doesn't right. have car chases. Are you comfortable with those type of things when you are making a piece of entertainment that's about history, or would you have liked for them to to Leave that aside. Um, I'm kind of torn on that because I I understand why they have it. Like you need that that kind of emotion swelling moment. You need that you need that rant here because I think it's very easy for people watching this movie to just feel hopeless about the situation she's in, and we need a little bit of that release. And I think when it comes down to it, like history is more subtle than movies about history. Like I. You know, I saw something online about how the reason they ended up taking it down is because the women who work there kept removing it. So it was just like it cost too much money to keep putting the sign back up. <laughs> See, I think that's much better already. <laughs> I do, too. But I think it takes time that the movie wasn't willing to spend on these kind of ancillary characters. So I get, you know, and I feel like my audience loved it, too. Um, I feel like the Kevin Costner moment rang a little bit hollow to me. Like that whole scene, I was just like. And I kind of got what they were trying to do. I liked that it wasn't just like one swing of the crowbar and it comes tumbling down. Like I liked that they showed this middle-aged white man like kind of huffing and puffing and kind of really struggling to get this sign down. That it was effortful and it was a little bit funny, but it, it just kind of it just kind of fell flat for me. I thought her rant worked better. I did feel like the scene was a little rushed. Like I think if we had waited 10 or 15 minutes and have her really just kind of blow up, it would have made a little bit more sense. Uh, but again, I've never been in that situation. So what do I know? I don't like either one. I don't like the rant or uh, out of shape Kevin Costner, not in peak Field of Dreams moment. I don't <laughs> – I, I think it revealed. I would have loved it because just your take on it, I guess the, the, the true account – uh, opens you up to pick on Kirsten Dunst some more. You could have yeah, had her that's character always good. dealing with it. That, see, that would have been hilarious. Pick on Kirsten Dunst. Pick uh, on the that, blonde. That goes with my that's... favorite scene. I, lo- I love uh, Octavia Spencer's put-down of her in the bathroom where she's like, I, you I know, think I you believe... do think that, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I believe that you think that. But, you know, she's not She's not giving it anyway. I don't know. There's a lot of good moments here. Uh, I, I don't, yeah. you know, I, I think that... Uh, I, I kind of found that unfortunate that that uh, became a little mini controversy because I found this to be such a, a pleasant film, uh, such a positive film. Um, and, you know, maybe unfortunately those bigger moments um, 
if they'd had more of them, it would have been a bigger Oscar play. And yeah. I think that's why it sticks out for me is because that feels like the one showy moment for both characters. Uh, but can't we have nice things? Hidden Figure's great. What's, what's yeah, wrong with you people? It's good. It's it's I, it's a really enjoyable, crowd-pleasing movie. And I think, honestly, I wish we had more movies like this. I feel like there's a lot of movies no, that try no, to no, do no. this and they fail. Math. No, no, not more movies about <laughs> No <math>. more math. <laughs> That's my biggest – the biggest sin. I don't want to see math movies. Um, presumably, there will be uh, you know, a, a sequel of some sorts uh, where Matt Damon uh, plays uh, uh, Catherine G. Johnson. <laughs> I am not touching that. <laughs> nope. Nope. Maybe some sort of Goodwill Hunting uh, Cinematic Universe crossover. I don't Maybe know. Maybe Catherine he... Johnson finally puts Will Will in his place. I think I think I would watch that. I'd be I'd be with okay with that. <laughs> exactly. So the other question I had, I was wondering what you thought of because anytime we do biopics like this, there's this really tentative balance between the story about history and then the the personal touches that make you realize, oh, this is a real person with with real problems, not just a mathematician. So how did you feel like they balanced her kind of romantic subplot and her family subplot with all the stuff going on at NASA? Oh, I hated it when it was introduced. I'm like, oh, God. Like, because I you – know, one of my things, especially when you're getting into – uh, these tales of history is I, I just want to know about the, the person and the cool shit they did. Like mm-hmm. this, the cool shit that I can't do. Uh, I, I can, uh, well, I've, I guess I've succeeded at attaining romantic relationships. I don't know. You'd have to ask the various women. How you are married. I mean, I'm for now. Yes. I will timestamp this. <laughs> for now. You know, Ooh, man. I, you know, I don't, Hey, <laughs> I've got to stay sharp now. I, I can't get like Kevin Costner. Yeah. I got to stay in peace. Don't get comfortable. Don't crowbar swing in shape. That's what I got to be in. Um, or maybe not. That sounds very like domestic violence. <laughs> it does. That's maybe stay away from the crowbars. That's <laughs> well, I, I have to be able to bob and weave when the crowbar is being thrown uh, at me. Yeah. That makes and that more is sense. justified. I won't argue with it. Um, <laughs> the romance here, you know, you know, it's, it's handled uh, like the, uh, the balance with the ensemble and that it has its place. And I feel like they, they put a little bit of, it's sort of a forced, I think, gender issue just a little bit, although I'm sure it's it's accurate because the way they the meet cute happens uh, is somewhat demeaning to what this woman does uh, mm. professionally. Um, but I feel like you kind of have to have that because you can't just have this this woman be sort of accepted because she you know helped us get to the moon. Uh, and then at home, she's accepted because she was a great lover or a great uh, caregiver or cook or mother. I I do like when I thought about more, I was like, you know, I, did, I found that an awkward exchange at first. But I like that uh, given the brevity of the runtime here that it really shows that this man respected her as a whole. And I thought that so I think right. it works hand in hand. I, I think it was um, handled quite beautifully actually so I, I was totally wrong when it was introduced i was rolling my eyes i'm like i don't want to see a romance of the the hidden figures lady i just want to see them just you know get down to work find those numbers. figures get it yeah get it find done. the figures compute or whatever <laughs> um but no i was i was totally wrong is it, it was it was great um there's there's really not a lot here to dislike about the film that's why i'm right. kind of uncomfortable talking about it on a podcast because you're kind of expected to nitpick uh, here, but I, I just found it to be, and, and not to sound dismissive, just a totally pleasant experience, including the romance. It's just, uh, I, I'm really shocked because the director here, Theodore Melfi, did the, was it St. Vincent? The, uh, yeah. yeah, Bill Murray comedy, which I guess was okay. I mean, and about sweet. I mean, I could, this is, it's not, it's not like you would go like, oh, this is on an obvious step. To go from St. Vincent to here, because St. Vincent... This guy's next picture will be nominated for Best Picture. I can tell from this Bill Murray comedy. Because that Bill Murray Murray comedy is a little more... It's a little more harsh. It's a little more mean, especially in the first two-thirds of the movie. And you don't really see that here. So, I don't know. Maybe he's one of those... Some directors are this kind of like, oh, he's an artist and he has a vision. And some artists and some directors are workers, you know, this is just like a gun for hire. Like you are a director. Bring get me it that done. check. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, think, I, I mean, I think do you think he when he here, sat down to make this movie, he was like, this is going to be an Oscar winner? Like, nah. I, I, do, I did see some. I mean, I, I think from what I recall, there there's a little bit better handling of formula here. Because I, I think both films, to certain degrees, are formulaic. Uh, I mean, we've seen 
films like Hidden Figures, unfortunately, not about uh, these particular women and their culture, but you you know the beats of it. And something like Saint Vincent, you've you've seen that film before. You've seen the cantankerous old man and the the, the boy who sort of warms his heart. And I feel like with Hidden Figures, he avoided some of the pitfalls of the the formula of their respective genres. Uh, and it, yeah, it has me really, you know, I don't think he's going to come out with a Zodiac or anything next. I don't think he's, the he's next. not the next venture. <laughs> no. Uh, but you know, I would be interested. I, I think if he, if he tackles interesting subject matter, uh, I think it's in good hands. And there's, right. you know, there are some directors that if he's they get capable, their hands on, like he seems yeah, they, very they capable. get their hands on great material all the time. And it's like, Oh God, I can't fuck, wait to that, see up. fuck that up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, what I'm saying is, uh, Theodore Melfi, not a fuck up. I don't think. <laughs> good job. <laughs> Can we put that on the poster? Yes. Not a fuck up. Put that on his resume. The next time someone tries to give him a movie, this guy won't fuck your movie up. So hire him. Uh, but I think, I think you brought up some good points about, about the romance. I always, during a biopic, I mean, biopics are really tough anyway. Uh, they're they're a tough sell. Like there's there's a lot of bad biopics out there. So, but once you introduce the kind of romantic subplot, especially because it doesn't it doesn't truly affect the ending of the story necessarily. Whereas you know when we covered the Imitation Game, that character's sexuality does affect the end of his life. So you kind of have to include that if you're going to include his death. Whereas this is like, oh, it's nice to have there so it's a more well-rounded character. But the second uh, Mahershala Ali showed up, I was kind of kind of worried, like, okay, I like this actor, but, like, is this really necessary? But that scene between them, like, his apology scene was just so sweet. And his, you know, the the way he proposed marriage to her in the film, like, I think all that stuff really worked and it, I think a lot of it, a lot of the hard work was done by Taraji P. Henson because you do care about this character a lot and you get a little bit of the background about her mother and her kids and and her husband who's died. And I think that stuff all works. So to bring in, like, he was there, I think, to be sweet and charming. And I think he did perfectly fine. Like, I don't think he did anything here that was, you know, amazing. And again, like a very capable, sweet performance and i i liked that relationship there but i was like you afraid that this was going to go in a really really bad direction but i feel like the script was written in such a way where it was very contained uh and it wasn't this source of anxiety for her it wasn't like oh this guy is causing me trouble like maybe like janelle monet's character like her boyfriend who was always kind of like well you're never going to be anything because because racism uh which i'm glad they they only harped on that a couple times because i felt like that could have gotten really old as well does he ever i'm looking over his filmography does does ali ever get to play big is he always playing he's always playing this he's got this in recent years sort of yeah. reputation with house of guards he's very like a very controlled yes character very measured uh, and that's not a particular complaint for Hidden Figures because it works well, but uh, with Moonlight, with his sort of big year uh, that he's had, uh, I want him to. I want him to play big. I want uh, him yeah, to play something different. Yeah, that would be nice because I've you know recently kind of seen him in more movies. I just saw uh, The Place Beyond the Pines, which mm-hmm. he has a small role, in. and again he's very reserved and very quiet, just like he is in. I think Moonlight might be his most kind of expansive performance, and there's not and there's not a that's lot sad. of yeah. I think that performance, obviously, yeah. but it's just. Yeah, um, yeah, but I yeah, think House now, cards, now thing. that he's getting you know this publicity, and will most likely win the Oscar for best best supporting actor, I'm thinking he's going to get a lot more opportunities. So hopefully, we'll see a lot more from him because he is one of those actors that does have just kind of a wonderful presence on screen, and is someone you pay attention to even in these small roles. So hopefully, that will translate to kind of bigger, more emotional roles for him in the next coming years. Should, should we talk about the uh, the the lead? Should we talk about the actresses? Because yes. it just hit me. I'm like, well, we're talking about the, 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 the dude. <laughs> talking about the Kevin Costner. We tried okay. Um, so I, I found myself really impressed with Taraji P. Henson here because, I mean, I only know her kind of by by the fact that she's been in these TV shows that I haven't even seen, but they're like kind of outlandish and soap opera-ish. So it was okay. it was surprising to see this kind of restrained performance, like aside from that one rant, that one blow up, like she's a very restrained character and it really suits it really suits that character as well. So I thought she was really good. It was nice to see her get some Oscar publicity for Best Actress. I mean, that was and that was surprising. Um, 
I actually think my favorite performance in this movie is Janelle Monet. I think she brings some much needed levity and fun to a pretty serious movie. I think she is the one who kind of spurs a lot of the action in these in these kind of subplots. I think without her performance here, I think the movie gets a little a little stale and a little bit dour and a little bit like just focused on the NASA mission, which is probably what you would have wanted. Like just just get to the <laughs> figures. Well, once again, you're wrong because uh, the best performance in this film is uh, obviously Kirsten Dunst. Uh, she's the one that needs <laughs> she more screen time. She plays a good racist. That's <laughs> <laughs> the good racist. Is that, is that a CBS show? Because it should be. The good Coming wife. Soon right to, after to the good access. racist. That's... <laughs> uh, I would sadly watch that. If Kirsten Dunst agreed to star in something and play a part called the good racist, uh, it would be eminently watchable. No, I, I go back to Octavia Spencer. I, I think right. that it's it's a more difficult uh, part to play here. Uh, in, in certain respects, it's the the one who, uh, you know, she's got a lot of sort of exposition in a way. She's sort of got to yeah. move the plot along, and that's both with her family form. and with her yeah. coworkers. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I think it's something going back to the uh, the one thing I do remember about Saint Vincent was I felt like. It was one of the better Melissa McCarthy performances we got because she it was, might she be played the best so straight. Melissa McCarthy performance. I still go with Spy. Well, Spy's I, I, I pretty like, great. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love Spy. Uh, but I would say that certainly in St. Vincent, it's a more uh, atypical uh, McCarthy so not, performance. So not the boss? That's not – I don't think she's bad in the boss. That's just a horrendous movie. <laughs> just absolutely horrendous. Uh, but yeah, Octavia Spencer, you know, comedic actress, uh, mm-hmm. at least from what I'd seen her. I mean, my God, she was in – bad santa as like yeah. a prostitute sitting on a, a bench like who who also has to move the plot along for bad santa uh i, I just think she was as you call it mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know there's a there's a quite the mythology to bad santa you should rewatch it what is this john um, wick 2 <laughs> like the shared universe the expanded universe <laughs> of bad santa in the, the current uh, film world that we're in, I would accept John Wick versus Bad Santa over uh, Be a nice short film. Avengers movie. That's... Sure. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I would assume Billy Bob's got a lot of gold coins in his, his pouch there. <laughs> Save uh, it but up. Yeah, yes. Octavia Spencer, uh, for me, this type of role, the way she plays it, is what the best supporting actress category should be. Mm-hmm. I, I think she um, – totally you know without her i don't know if this film really works right. and and unlike uh, can, viola davis it's actually a supporting performance i love viola davis i would you know i would have her um as my like number two like for lead actress this year behind ruth Negan for loving mm-hmm. uh but yeah I, I just kind of bothersome that i feel like she's she's stealing something from a spot that should be octavia spencer's uh mm-hmm. in a way true supporting role um I don't know. Wait, we've said a lot of good things. What's what's something bad about this? Um, I guess the the guy from Big Bang Theory is in this, uh, and he's just he's just kind of trapped in this like he's just trapped in this stereotypical role. Like, oh look, it's the the geek, I guess. Like, and yes, this is a very different character, and he he puts forward effort here, but I think it's it's not much of a character. He's kind of he's there to be in the way. Like, and that, that doesn't interest me a lot. And there's, there's a lot of that in this movie. It's just like, it's a lot of, like, they might as well call this movie White People in the Way. Cause there's a lot of that in this movie. Also like, a good title. White people bad CBS at their fall. jobs. That's <laughs> just like the fact that, you know, this is a bit of a spoiler, I guess, but we're not going to, and this movie has been out for months, but the whole scene where she kind of figures out she could just put the paper up to the light and see through this top secret file. I'm like, really? The best we could do is Sharpies? Like, that's... <laughs> Come on, guys. This is... I think the the one thing that this movie gives me hope for is now that we... Now, when we make movies about the space program, it's going to be hard to not include bits and pieces of this story, uh, this kind of behind the scenes, because now a lot of people know about it. I mean, I think... In the next couple of years, there's going to be there's going to be another um, another movie about the space program with uh, Ryan Gosling uh, directed by Damien Chazelle. It'd be interesting if they show any of the behind the scenes stuff now that that's so. <laughs> Wait known. a minute, you're expecting <laughs> Damien Chazelle, that's right? The director of Lawless. He'll Land, miss out on in, jazz, but you, you don't think you think he's going to put more black people? I mean, he you know didn't he would, jazz. He would almost have to put more black people and i like la la land i would like to say i also like i like i you know i've said i, I think john legend is the most interesting character in la la land i think that's the biggest flaw in that film is that 
that dude's right. That dude's like <laughs> change like, with the times, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, be progressive. My God, um, you expect a white know. guy who likes jazz to be progressive? Come on, that's that's asking a lot. <laughs> well, I, I don't. You know, there's a lot of believability issues there. I don't feel like someone <laughs> as good looking as Ryan Gosling is going to fucking spend all his days alone listening to jazz. Yeah, that's good. You need a real uggo to play that part. <laughs> A real Uggo. I haven't heard you say that in a long time. You're you're going back in the catalogs. Uggo is anything icky in this movie? Because <laughs> that's the icky. not in Hidden Figures. I don't think. Um. Yeah. No. no. La La Land. A lot of icky. Not so much Hidden Figures. There we yeah, go. There let's, you go. Let's start, nice. let's start an Oscar prediction side. Yeah. That can be the let's not title. <laughs> ever. I'm so done with Oscar predictions. All right, so I guess we're both saying, like, Hidden Figures is really good. It's a really pleasant watch. It's something that that I think you can recommend to just about anybody. A lot of times these Oscar movies are like, well, it's really good, but I'm not sure if you would like it. Or, you know, you don't want to tell, like, you know, hey, Grandma, you should watch Silence. I think you'd really enjoy that. No further than that, just a lot of movies in general. Like, yeah. I, I think this is a total four-quadrant a hit and the only one that wouldn't like it uh is kirsten dunst the yeah. good racist the good that's racist it. nice that's a perfect place to end uh i think uh we're gonna take a break here i have no idea what me and brit are gonna watch because you know we gotta watch movies about math i guess that's the <laughs> math or academics i don't know many do you know any classic movies mike that <clears throat> that would tie into classic hidden movies. figures like movies that you need for your film education that tie in with the imitation game or hidden figures it's not going to be a fucking beautiful mind, I'll tell you that, because I'm not watching that shit. I mean, the, the only math movie I referenced uh, that I find watchable is uh, is Good Will Hunting, I guess. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Is that about math? I don't. I don't and maybe for you, that's just. Uh, I don't know. She's probably sick of hearing about therapy. She's probably sick of living on the the, the couch with you. Well, she's uh, also mad that I stole a line from that movie to uh, to convince her to 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 date me. So. That's I, that movie's off the yeah, table. That sounds so. awful. Yeah, it'd be it'd be off the table for sure. I don't know what's uh, what's classic. Are we? Are we is there a certain? It doesn't year have, we can't no. Look it doesn't past? have to be any particular year. It's just something that like if you were to if you were to talk to somebody and you found out like oh you haven't seen fill in the blank you'd be like oh you really need to see that that's a must watch. You know movies like Taxi Driver, movies like Raging Bull. You know like so they don't necessarily have to be older. They just have to be important that you should watch them. Well, to me, it's Moneyball. To me, that's 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 the most important movie about math because it, it changed uh, the true American art form, not jazz, Damien Chazelle, but baseball. I have no idea, and I'm assuming uh, – I know you hate the uh, the Oakland A's, and I'm assuming Brent – And yet uh, I probably, still love that movie. So I, you know, I, I think that's great. Uh, yeah, that's my pick. Moneyball. How about All that? Right. It's so, a classic from <laughs> five, <laughs> five and a half years ago. <laughs> That's perfect. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, but we'll take a break and then come back with Brett to talk about some movie and uh, the movie coming out this week. Hello, I'm Andrew. And I'm Bernadette, and we're the AB Film Review. We're a weekly film review and discussion podcast from Perth, Western Australia. We're a married couple who like to spend our Saturday evenings avoiding reality by discussing and often arguing about the latest films and some classics. And getting closer to divorce. Uh, you can find us on the Podbros Network at podbros.com, also on Twitter at AB Film Review, Facebook AB Film Review, and our website, abfilmreview.com. That's a lot of ABs. That's it. All right, so we're back from our break, and and now it's time for Fangirl Fixation with Brit. Say hello, Brit. Hello, Brit. Oh, you're finally back to actually saying hello. That's good. Keeping your toes. Yes, always. Um, so this week um, we are continuing Brit's film education, uh, and we're talking about Moneyball. But before we get into that, is there anything you want to talk about? Anything on your mind? No, because you don't appreciate my love for video games. I don't appreciate your love for video games? No. You sure? Yes. Okay. So, um, so this week, of course, we on the show we talked about the imitation game and hidden figures. So we figured, I guess, we should talk about math. That, I'm sorry, was both. that like yeah, that really just happened? Jesus, sure did. Um, so uh, we picked Moneyball because honestly, there's not that many. I love how I keep saying we. I don't know where I picked we. It. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> you feel better? Yeah, I do. I think you need to tell them how it is. Okay. Yes, that is how it is. I picked Moneyball. Because my reaction was, it started playing. Is this Wait, is this baseball? baseball? <laughs> and I was like, yes. Oh, man. So that actually <laughs> brings up my first question about this movie. Because 
I mean, obviously, it's something that I have a buy-in for already because I really love the sport of baseball. I grew up with it. I, you know, went to a lot of games with my dad when I was younger. So what about you as a non-baseball fan? Does this movie work? Yeah, I actually really enjoyed it for not liking baseball. Nice. I'm happy to hear that. That's everything I'd actually heard about this movie. <laughs> like, even if you don't like baseball, you'll like this movie. And I was like, I think that's true. No, but how I think, would I know? I think it's true. Okay. Because I wasn't getting any sort of garlic fries out of this, and I still enjoyed it. <laughs> you still had a good time with it. So what did you like about the movie? Uh, So I think part of what I liked is just the, the way things were portrayed. Like... <sighs> It's hard to explain, but Brad Pitt is always putting in these positions where he's like the golden boy kind of mm-hmm. thing, yeah. and it was especially nice, especially early in his career. Yeah, it was. It was nice to see like they would give him unflattering shots mm-hmm. and like made him a real person. Like one of the things I really loved about this character was the that emotional eating, the emotional eating, uh, <laughs> just like throwing things in his mouth. Yeah. Like, oh god. And like Twinkies, the snacks popcorn. everywhere, but the, but then they also showed that like he's obviously aware that he has this issue because of how much he works out. Yeah, I so, think they have three or four sequences in the movie yeah. that show him like, like lifting weights and running, and yeah, usually right after showing him smashing an entire Twinkie in his <laughs> mouth, which was kind of impressive. Yeah, yeah, like, it's like I don't, go, like, I don't, it. yeah. I actually think like I was actually I talked to you about this and I messaged Mike about it. This might be my favorite Brad Pitt performance in his career. Like I think I don't think that's fair talking to Mike about it though, considering what I've heard. What do you mean? Oh, because Mike loves Brad Pitt. Yeah, but that should make it an even more difficult decision because he loves Brad Pitt so much. So, I mean, for me, I just feel like, like, of course, you know, great in Fight Club, great in Seven. He's had a lot of great performances, but this was, I don't know, it was like a more measured performance. It was, it wasn't showy. You know, a lot of his great performances. No, that's what I'm are saying. Like he showy. was, he was, he was more approachable and accessible, and like felt oh. like a real person. Yeah, yeah. I was, just, I was just really impressed with the performance, and I think it's, it's one of those performances you need a movie star for. Like, if you don't have that kind of presence, if people aren't, like, automatically drawn to you, I think this is this role is, like, a hard sell. I think we should point out how I figured something out and you didn't about this yeah, movie. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> while we were watching the movie, she was like, so there's all these scenes with scouts, kind of the old guard, like, talking about, like, oh, he has a good face. He's got a good baseball body. You know, the ball really jumps off his bat, all this stuff. And she's like, are these guys actors or are they really scouts? And I looked it up, and all except one of them were actual scouts. So well mm-hmm. done, Britt. Good call. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. No, nothing about baseball. Could figure out when it was an old guy that knew about baseball. <laughs> That's right, because you've heard that enough. <laughs> oh, uh, my God, <laughs> have I ever. Okay. So <sighs> I think uh, the thing that wowed me most in this movie was Jonah Hill's performance. Yeah. Like, I've seen it twice now. I saw it once, like, last year. Um, like, I never saw it in theaters, but... Just kind of That's caught up weird to, like, for you. Are you okay? Well, like, I mean, this, do you, you have know, regrets? It's it's about baseball, but it's also about the Oakland A's, and I hate the A's, so it's hard for me to. Oh, that's right, I forgot. Behind. You're a Higante fan. Yeah. So, um, but I just thought Jonah Hill, like you know, he kind of made his name, of course, as a comedic actor, but I think he's really gifted in these dramatic roles. Like, he's he is really good, and I also miss Fat Jonah Hill. I'm like, I'm gonna be real. Yeah. Because he's such a little teddy bear. And well, I think he gained a bunch of weight back now, actually. Oh, well, he's, I need to see pictures of that. I don't like skinny Jonah Hill. Yeah. Uh, speaking of people who um, gain and lose weight, Chris Pratt, also in this movie. So what Oh, my God, think? he's such a baby. Yeah, I guess they asked him to lose weight for this movie because he was a little too big to play a professional. See, I love, I love chubby Chris Pratt, Pratt too. Pratt. Yeah. Pat Pratt is great. Yep. It and gives it me something to cuddle. No, it wouldn't here, work but. here. But he's also not at, like, um, Star-Lord level No, either, no, he's so. not, like, ripped. He's not, yeah. he's not the abs. So he's still, he still he would have been like cuddly. player. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think what else about this movie. I think, I think the movie does a really great job of, I mean, there's a pretty obvious uh, metaphor here kind of talking about the old guard versus the new guard. And we were kind of talking during the movie mm. how there's all these like visual cues to that. Like all like the, the DOS. Like, yeah, the DOS computer and the laptop trying to kind of communicate together and he's trying to move all these stats over to one place. And I, I thought that was like a really nice way to put forward this this kind of visual language. And I think it's one of those movies that could kind of go under the radar like, oh, it's just a sports movie. But it's almost like I don't even see this as a sports movie necessarily. It doesn't have the stereotypes of like no, you know the field of dreams. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. I miracle, don't see it as being. I mean, I think I think it's a movie that happens to be about sports. Right. I mean, I think 
you could make this this kind of movie about anything and it still works. And I don't think you even really need to know much about baseball for this movie to work. Because I think they do also a really good job of kind of explaining why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, more or less. Um, like, there's there's some things that, like, not being a particular fan of baseball that didn't get explained enough for me. Mm. But, I mean, I guess they expect Do some people to Do you remember what some, they were, just out of curiosity? Like, why is first base the hardest place to play? Oh, it's, it's I don't think it is. I just think it's hard for him because he's never played it. No, but like they were, but like they were doing that whole big. They were making a big deal about how like it's the hardest position. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a matter of opinion. They they okay. put a lot of relatively unathletic people at first. I think it's hard. It's a really hard position to play great, but I don't think it's hard to be serviceable at that job. It's just that that player had been a catcher his entire career. So he played for years and years and years at, at one position, and now he had to kind of switch. Mm. And it's learning a whole new skill set. Well, because the old guard also was throwing a fit about having to teach somebody. Like, you can't teach first base kind of right. bullshit. So that's why I was yeah. like, I don't and get it. trying to start the rookie instead. All you got to do is catch a ball and tap someone. Uh, I'm not even going to get into this with you because <laughs> there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of footwork involved. Look, we're not going <laughs> to... We're not going to do that. You're, you're the one uh, that's going on a tangent right <laughs> now. Stop. I'm going to stop myself. Uh, yeah. Um, but I thought, like, all the... It, this seems like material that would be so easy for it to be so math heavy that the vast majority of people would be like, I'm just going to tune out. Because it's literally yeah. what the story is about, is about, you know, people coming up with a formula to finding the most productive baseball players. And they're feeding it into a computer and trying to find the most efficient for the amount of money spent. Right. And, and that doesn't sound exciting. Like it's that- Also, how crappy was that? What? No wonder their team sucks all the time. <laughs> Like, like hearing, like, what some of the figures were compared to other teams. Like, oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, 40 million versus, like, hundreds of millions so of I dollars. I did really, like, is that a real thing where, like, other teams will help pay somebody's salary? Yeah. yeah that's a real thing. Why? Uh, because they want to get that player off their team. Because there's only, like, a certain amount of roster spots on your team. And if uh. that player isn't producing and you have someone in your farm system that you can bring up, who can do the job for cheaper, you're going to want him on the field. Hmm. So you got to get rid of that guy. And if he's getting paid a bunch of money, you got to tell the team you're training him to, like, look, we know you can't afford this player, so we're going to pay half his salary for okay. you to take him. Because there, there was especially that scene where, uh, like, Brad Pitt's character points at Billy Bean or whatever. He points out of, like, no, the New York Yankees are paying half your stuff. Yeah, That's how David much Justice. they think that yeah. you're not a threat. Yeah. Yeah, like, they're paying us for you not to play. Or worse, for you to play against them. Yeah. Like, yeah. I actually really... That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I do feel like it's a little bit rushed. Yeah. Like, for him to be like, okay, we're cool, you know? Yeah, I, I, but it wasn't I, but 100% it's a long believable. Movie. It's already, like, two hours and 15 minutes, yeah. so I get, like, rushing through that a little bit. Um, but I think I think Brad Pitt's performance in that scene is so good that it kind of makes it okay. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of that in this movie. There's a lot of scenes that feel rushed because you're trying to make a movie about... 162, 162 game season in two hours. Like you, there's things. Sorry, that are I just fell asleep. Yeah, so there's things in, that are going to get rushed, and I, but I felt like they did a pretty good job of kind of moving things along and making things relatively. Yeah, convincing. yeah, they did. There was something else I was going to say, but now it's left my brain. <laughs> was there anything you didn't like about the movie? Was there any characters that didn't like really work for you? Like when you talk about like maybe his family life versus his professional life. No. Did that stuff all work? Like no. Robin Wright? Oh, 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 that's what I was going to say. Oh, What's I forgot that? that was Robin Wright. Um, yeah. The the one thing that I really liked about this movie was, we talked about this, how they uh, they, they did the old footage with new footage oh, right. really seamlessly, yeah. which I think anybody who's trying to do that, hint, Jackie. Like Jackie. <laughs> they should have been watching this movie first. No, uh, so uh, you all know, because you listen to the show, hopefully, that I was not a big fan of Jackie. Britt liked it even less than I did. Oh and my she was, god! Like, actively I, angry when we that's, left the but theater. yeah, we've we've literally figured out Which that when I rare, when actually. I hate a movie now, the cue is, Dave, what time is it? <laughs> like how much longer? <laughs> that movie's only like an hour and thirty minutes or whatever. Oh my god, I couldn't. But yeah, I do feel like this movie did a great job of that. And we were talking during the movie that this would have been really easy to screw up. Yeah, because we're not talking about something in the sixties. And we were talking about something like less than 20 years ago that people have seen on television and we know what these players look like and what that scene looks like. And and with that, they did a really good job of picking shots from the old footage that didn't show you that the actors weren't the players. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it would have been shots from the back, right? Like people running, running, Mm -hmm. hats coming down across their faces. So when they would cut back to the new footage, you wouldn't ever think like, "Oh, well, that wasn't Chris Pratt, or that wasn't I don't know who else," because I didn't pay attention. (laughs) Philip Seymour Hoffman was the manager. Yes, Yes. Um, which was odd. It was. It's. It's. It was really interesting for me to watch him in that part because I know what that manager looks like. And they did a really good job, like just with the way he carried himself. Really? And like, you know, the way his kind of weight was proportioned. And I don't know if they did anything with costume to like kind of accentuate the belly and that stuff, or if that's just, you know, him gaining weight for the role, but and you know, shaving his head. Like I was like, that doesn't even look like Philip Seymour Hoffman to me. Like that's, and it's it such took a small me a second. Like too. it was his voice that finally tipped it off. But even mm-hmm. then it was hard because of the inflections that he had for the role. Yeah. And, like, at that point in his career, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like, he's not, like, a, you know, he's not, like, a movie star, but he's someone known. So for him to take a role that's, like, relatively small in this movie was really interesting. And I only really I noticed it was him because you got emotional. Yeah, well, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's great. Loved. Oh, that's mean. That's just mean. <laughs> um, did you have any, like, favorite scenes? Like, what sticks out about this movie to you? Like, if, if someone were to ask you, like, oh, you saw Moneyball, like, what'd you like about it? Like, what... Is there a particular scene that really stuck with you, or is it just besides like, the entire Twinkie going in his mouth? Yes, besides him eating the Twinkie. Um, <laughs> You're I, with that scene. I am. It's <laughs> impressive. Um, I think I think a lot of Jonah Hill scenes actually, mm-hmm. like having been a cubicle or still a cubicle person that nobody pays attention to, mm-hmm. um, and like the whole like, well, he wasn't really listening to me; he was listening to so and so. Like, I really whispering in the right. Yeah, words. like I, I kind of identified with that, and like the whole scene of like, who are you? It was mm-hmm. just like, it's a great scene. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Pete. It's like I don't care what your name is. <laughs> yeah, who are you? Like what? <laughs> and then one of my other favorite moments was uh, when they had Jonah Hill doing the phone call, mm-hmm. and like his moment of excitement, like like when because you see him. It's it's not only like him finally getting into his dream of working with baseball, but you saw like that real connection between him and Brad Pitt in the yeah. silent moment when they're trying not to let out their excitement. Mm-hmm. Those are actually some of my favorite moments, the kind of trade discussions, which again, a really difficult thing to make cinematic. Oh my god, but yeah. It really was, works. Yeah, that was kind of cool. And I was like, wow, if that's really what it's like, I can never ever work as a scout. Why is that? Or like GM or like anything. Because too much like, tobacco chewing? Too, well, oh God, I almost <laughs> threw up. And I came from the Central Valley. Um, no, I just mean like, like, like that's obviously like a high level stress thing. Mm-hmm. And you have to know people well enough to know how to play them. Right. And it's like, so it was very, it was more psychological than I was expecting, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the scene that really like hammers that home for me and watching it again is there's a scene in the very beginning of the movie where he goes to the Cleveland Indians office and he's like surrounded by people. Yeah. And he's like forced to be like genial in that scene. And he looks so uncomfortable. Mm. Like, yeah, everything's great. Everything's fine. Like just trying to play everything off. And he's so much better once he has a little bit of power and things are going well and he's on the phones and he's working the system. But when he's like, you know, when he's surrounded by all these people and is at a disadvantage, like you really feel it. Yeah. As an audience. And I, I think a lot of that is due to Brad Pitt's performance. Like, he's just phenomenal here. Um, all right. So uh, I'm glad you actually liked the movie this time. Uh, mm-hmm. We were The last two weeks have been rough, so I'm glad. <laughs> and I could actually tell, like, I, as we were watching the movie, like, you were just, you were more engaged with it. Like, you could tell, like, I could tell you were enjoying it instead of, like, okay, I'm sitting through this. I'm going to, I'm going to get through it. Like, this, you could tell, like, you were, you were into the movie. So that was that was that was good and like a little bit surprising considering the subject matter, you know. Especially when I turn it on, you're like, "Wait, this is about baseball." And I was like, Ooh, I felt trapped, yes. tricked. <laughs> it sure is. Um, so, uh, do you think? Can you understand why people would call this? Would you call this a great movie? Yeah. First of all, I would. Okay. First time for everything on the show. Yeah. Hey, how about that? So, I think this, as I remember, this may have actually got nominated for Best Picture that year. Um, which for the type of movie it is, is pretty surprising. Like it's a pretty small, small movie. So, um, so why would you think people would call this great? What, if you, do you think you can boil it down? Like, what is it about this movie that really sticks with you? That's like, that was, that was fun. That was great. I think it comes down to what, like the reason anybody watches a movie is for the humanity of it. Hmm. Okay. Like it feels real. Like you like get stuck in the struggles with somebody. It's not just like watching a movie. Like it, right. this one feels more like I know that person right. or I have been that person. And that's I think extra impressive because this is someone who's making a shitload of money. 
Like even like granted, you oh, turned down God. a lot of money at the end of the movie, but twelve point five. No, yeah, twelve point yeah, five. Million. Oh my God! But even before that, you know he's making a shitload of money. Yeah, way more like, than I make compared to quote unquote normal people. So you, for, so for you to feel like, oh, I feel like this was a real person and this was someone down to earth. I think it's pretty impressive for like the direction, the script, the acting, all of it. So that was that was kind of cool. So I'm, gl- I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, okay. So uh, now we move on to what's coming out next week because we are actually finally covering a new release next week. Uh, the Gasp. Uh, because our next episode will actually be having our Oscars episode. So no more Oscars stuff after, after this week. Thank God. I'm so sick of hearing him talk about it. I barely ever talk about it. You should hear uh, some other podcasters. I'm just saying. I'm telling them to shut up. So that's how bad. Wow. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the first movie. Ah, they- sorry. What's wrong with you? I'm falling off the chair. <laughs> okay. Totally keeping that in. <laughs> uh, so the first uh, the first movie coming out, we have another animated film uh, called Rock Dog. Oh, my God. Uh, so, Britt, what did you think of the trailer? You, refri- you refused to watch the trailer again because you had already seen it. So what do you remember about this trailer? What do you remember about this movie? I just, I can't. You can't what? Like, are we that desperate for animation? I think I think we are. I think parents are just like want their kids to shut up, and actors want a paycheck. I mean, listen to this. Listen to this cast list: Luke Wilson, Eddie Izzard, J.K. Simmons, uh, Louis Black, uh, Matt Dillon, Sam Elliott. Like these. Well, are- we've talked about this before. <laughs> yeah. It's an easy paycheck for them. Yeah. And this, like, this just looks like a steaming no pile of poo. It's. It looks really bad. It just. I don't like, care. For a bad I don't care about film. a Tibetan dog. Is that what it is? It's some sort of like herding dog. Okay, whatever. Yeah, that, a Tibetan mastiff. Good that call. that well needs done. to like become Good a memory. rock dog. Like, r- yeah. My passion's rock and roll. It's like okay, the way you feel about Sing is how I feel about this movie. That's pretty bad. Yeah. But do you feel as bad about this as I do about Boss Baby? Because I think that might be the end of art. <laughs> no, because there's still that whole scene with the baby powder and the farting. You are you're such a child. Powder. I, I remember powder. that getting you. Like, I'm sitting there. I remember first time we saw that trailer, I'm sitting there, arms crossed, like, just annoyed. And that happened. And next to me, I hear, huh. I'm like, oh, my God. The worst. I'm just, I'm still, I still feel personally attacked that that movie is coming out right around my birthday. Like, that's just. The worst. This is what I'm going to take you to your birthday for surprise. No, you're not. I'm going to tell you we're going to something else. I will walk out. I'll be like, goodbye. I will meet you outside. Have a nice 90 minutes. I'll give you half a volume. Walk you in. (laughs) You don't want that. I'll start speaking. Yeah, so I don't even know what to say about this movie. Like, it's, it's another one of those trailers that, like, there's no laughs in the trailer. Like, and it's even just seeing the poster, you're like, this is dumb. Yeah. Like, automatic. (laughs) Like, Like, Boss Baby looks more intelligent than this. On the surface. And that's that's a problem. Cookies are for closers. You're the worst. <laughs> you are literally the worst. Why would you bring that up? All right. So we're moving on to our next movie. Um, and this movie was actually supposed to come out a year ago. I remember because I did an episode with Dwight from The Broken Brain. Uh, to get ready for this movie, I was tying it in with About a Boy. Uh, because uh, it stars Nicholas Holt, who's in both of these movies. Uh, and this is Collide. Uh, Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, Anthony Hopkins, Ben Kingsley with a crazy accent, as usual. So what do you think of this trailer, Britt? Awesome? Why Why are we just doing the same movie over and over again? Like, seriously, why? This and not only that, not only we're doing it... the action movie, like, junkie. And those movies are all the same. So what What about this, like, makes it stand because out it as being unoriginal? Because it makes it worse. I don't know. It somehow, it somehow, like, takes all these great action movies and is like... How can we make people hate this? <laughs> like, because I love a good car heist movie. I really do. And this one's on the Autobahn. So. I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm sick of it always being some dude saving some chick who mm. gets kidnapped. Yep. Screw that. Can we have a female mechanic who has to go save a dude? A female mechanic? I know. It's weird. What? They don't know what cars That's are. crazy. That's like a man cooking. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like, it's always the same old trope. Yeah. Um, the only reason why I want to see this is because I want to see Anthony Hopkins and Ben Kingsley chewing scenery. Right. But I want to do it at home so I can drink and yell at all the scenes oh, yeah, with everybody is, else. This is definitely an at-home movie. Like, I just... I watched the trailer again and... You know, this is a different trailer than the first one I saw when I was first, like, getting ready for this on the show. And it was just like, nope, this doesn't make it any better. Like, I'm just like, 
I'm not sure. I like Nicholas Holt. I like him a lot, but I just don't know that he's like an action star. Like not I know like he was that, in Mad like, Max. This is crazy. Right? This is literally his first girlfriend, the love of his life. No, screw yeah. you. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And I, I just keep wondering, like, how did they get these? And I, granted, I don't know when this was filmed because it's supposed to come out last October. So probably at least a year before that. But like, how did they get these people to say yes? I don't know. It feels like a dime store gone in 60 seconds. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's weird. If you look on IMDb, it's got kind of a different um, a different synopsis than I got from the trailer. It says an American backpacker gets involved with drug smugglers as their driver. Though he winds up on the run from his employers across the Autobahn. But in the no, movie, the, it the made trailer, it sound like he he's, like, a thief. he's a thief. He's a car thief, and he was really good at it. And they were bringing him in because they had his girl, right? And then so he stole know. cars from Anthony Hopkins, and Anthony Hopkins is like, "I want your balls on a plate." Yeah, it's just, you this know, is, I don't, and, and they're trying no. to make it like a romance, like no. this whole thing, like, we do a lot of crazy things, but if love is the reason, isn't that okay? And I was like, yeah, this does not work for me. Like, but, I hope you both die in a fire. <laughs> well, given this movie, they might. No, they won't. They'll survive. It'll be like some scene well, on a Nicholas beach Holt with hair. Movie, but, <laughs> all right. So, the third movie, and that we were actually covering, um, is Get Out, uh, which is a new horror movie that's actually written and directed uh, by Jordan Peele of Key and Peele. If you if you watch this without me, I'll stab you with a fork. Well, you got to so go know. with me. We're covering it on the show. So clear you, your schedule. No, no, no. You clear your schedule. need to work around my schedule. No, no, I do not. That's, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. Um, so what do you think about this trailer, Brett? I feel like it's too real. <laughs> you mean because of like politics being I, what they are well, right now? Or? Right now. No, well, I mean no, but... the election. Like, do you think, do you think if, if Clinton would have won... Would this still feel too real? Maybe. Because, I mean, it's not like this is something that's just happening. Right. I mean, this is this has been an ongoing problem for pretty much the entire history of America. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, I think it's definitely closer to the surface. No, but like, right, like, on. I think, I think with current politics and, um, I don't want to insult Cheetos, but, you know. But our horrible president. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that like this could actually be entirely likely, and that's terrifying. Like I just keep waiting for there to be a message at the end that was like, "Psych, this was based, based on, a, on true a true story." Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I I saw this trailer like months ago. Yeah, um, I remember when it first came out. Yeah, and I was like, I can't wait to see that. Uh, I keep forgetting what the movie is though because of the title. I don't uh, know why, but I well, keep it's got a pretty disposable title, like most horror movies. Do, yeah, you know, like. Don't do this. Don't do that. Get out. Like, the bye bye man. Yeah, oh, nothing. Well, you'll never forget that though. Like, so no, that's I what I'm give saying. It to him on that, that, tr- that title is so bad that I've never seen that movie. And in ten years, <laughs> someone so will go, "What's the dumbest horror movie title?" And I'll be like, "The Bye Bye Man." That'll be the first thing. So well done, creators of the Bye Bye Man. Uh, probably some five year old who is the daughter of an executive. <laughs> it's like, what should we call it? Bye Bye Man. Uh, but yeah, Get Out, it's also got a lot of, like, character actors I really like, like Catherine Keener, um, and Bradley Whitford, like, I think they're both really good, um, and I just think this looks fun and interesting and kind of thought-provoking from a horror film perspective, and I think Mm -hmm. we need more of this. I think, I think there's fun to be had in kind of your standard, uh, horror films, like, you know, people are trapped in a house and they're being picked off one by one, or, you know, the Friday the 13th type movies, there's value in those, those are fun but I'm always more interested in horror movies that try to subvert the genre a little bit and right. try and go a little bit deeper or a little bit broader. And this feels like one of those. Yeah, because, I mean, this isn't just like a hacksaw-type gory movie. Like, there's mm-hmm. obviously obviously some very deep-rooted civil rights and mm-hmm. prejudice and racism that is going to be addressed in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it certainly looks like that. So it's, that's what I'm definitely looking forward to. So you can see... Why this is the movie I chose out of the new releases for next week? Because it ain't gonna be fucking Rock Dog. I'll tell you that much. That's Don't fuck the Rock Dog. Ew, gross. All right. Um, yeah. So we have uh, Britt liked Moneyball, and there are two movies she has no interest in. Well, I guess one she has kind of interest in, like watching at home. Yeah. Uh, and then one we'll actually see in the theaters. Yep. Right. Sound good. Yep. Anything else you want to add about Moneyball or the? The movies we talked about today, anything else you forgot to talk about? Nope. Nope. All right. So uh, the next time uh, that the show comes back, we will be doing our second annual Pop Culture Case Study Awards. So that's actually happening. So 
Um, and actually, uh, when you hear this for at least another day, the kind of popular vote, uh, that survey will still be open. Um, so if you follow me on Twitter, um, that's at PCK study, you can find that link and make your voice heard as far as who should win the awards this week. Uh, and that's it for now. And until next time, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. Oh, that movie got delayed, by the way. At least according to my latest news. What, the one with uh, Jacob Tremblay as the disfigured child? or pushed? It's going into the Oscar hunt. I think. Oh, no! (laughs) No! I cannot. I cannot have another year of, like, is it Jacob Tremblay adorable? Look at his fucked up face in this movie. I cannot do it.